Welcome to Beyond the Bio, a podcast that dives deep into our exceptional leaders at Bain and spotlights the incredible work they're doing. You can look up their bios online, but that only scratches the surface of who they are. We share the stories of why our leaders are truly extraordinary on this podcast. Joining us today is Satish Shankar, our Asia-Pacific Regional Managing Partner based out of the Singapore office. Today, we'll talk with Satish about his journey to Bain, his role as our Asia-Pacific Regional Managing Partner, or APAC Regional Managing Partners, we'll say internally, and the work he's been doing in the region. Satish, welcome. Happy to have you today. Thank you for having me, Keith. Looking forward to our conversation. Now, Satish, we've known each other for quite a while, but our listeners may not know who you are. Why don't we just start with a little bit of background? Where did you grow up? What were you trying to do with your education when you left home for college? Uh, just give us some background. I grew up in Chennai, which is a city in South India. Growing up, I was sports crazy, especially cricket, like most kids my age in India. I had two sisters, both older than me, and they were great role models in terms of balance. They were good students, but they also found the time to do other interesting things outside of school. I really started to take my academics seriously around grade 10. I did reasonably well in my grade 12 exams and got into Anna University, which is a good local university in Chennai, and I chose to do chemical engineering. My decision to become an engineer was really not a particularly well-thought-out one, candidly. Most reasonably good students in India were directed towards engineering or medicine those days. And so in many ways, I just took the default path. That said, I did enjoy many aspects of my course, especially the analytical and quant elements of which there were plenty. Yeah, and I, I think about my own degree, Satish, where I was an engineer, undergrad and grad. And somewhere along the way, I really liked it, but I also knew that I probably wouldn't be a great engineer like in a cubicle all day, every day. What did you end up wanting to do with your engineering degree? What you said just now, Keith, really resonates. Uh, as I was finishing my engineering degree, I was actually pretty determined to study further before I went into the workforce. I was concerned that if I stopped, I wouldn't go back to studying again. Mm -hmm. I then applied to the U.S. to do my master's in chemical engineering and potentially a Ph.D. after that. I was fortunate to uh, get into a handful of schools in the U.S. with uh, generous scholarships, which were quite prevalent during those days. So I was pretty excited and uh, quite keen on uh, moving to the U.S. But by chance, I happened to meet a friend of mine who was preparing to take the entrance test for the Indian Institutes of Management, uh, what we call IRIMs in India. He suggested that I understand that option better. At that stage, I had very few people in my family who had made careers in business. But the more I read up about the world of business, the more I was fascinated. So I wrote the test and was lucky to get offers from uh, multiple business schools, and I chose to go to IIM Ahmedabad. So a fairly radical course correction, which just happened by chance rather than any uh, elaborate planning. You didn't join Bain after your MBA, though. So you went to IIM and then did what? Yes, I graduated from business school in 1990. At that time, consulting was really in its infancy in India. There were a few small boutique firms uh, local firms, but the Baines and McKinsey's and BCG's of this world were not in India yet. Mm -hmm. uh, I think McKinsey was the first one to come into the market in 1993. Graduating from business school in 1990, I joined a multinational textile company called Quotes, which was headquartered in the UK, but had a long and well-established presence in India. And they were a leader in a number of textile segments like industrial fabric, threads, and garments. I started as a management trainee in sales and marketing, but I quickly realized it was not for me. <laughs> uh, so I went and had a conversation with our 
chief HR officer, and he was kind enough to give me an, uh, an opportunity to work in the finance function. And when I started in finance, I felt like I took to it like a duck to water. I, I just felt that um, it really gave me insight into business and a really good grounding on all aspects of financial management. So I spent time at the uh, textile mills uh, as a cost accountant. And I remember being fascinated by the concept of activity-based costing. Accountants rejoice. <laughs> That's right. I spent time in head office as the management accountant, where I was responsible for all financial aspects of our strategy planning, uh, for consolidating a monthly performance, for identifying and explaining variances to plan. Uh, and in this role, I had an opportunity to work closely with our CEO and CFO, which was a tremendous learning opportunity. Finally, I worked in the treasury function where I was responsible for determining our fixed and working capital needs, developing project feasibility reports for our largest CapEx projects, and working with the banks and other financial institutions to raise funding and just managing the overall relationship with them. So I did four years of this. And uh, by 1994, I started to get a bit restless. Now, Satish, one of the things that I like about your story is that it sounds like you were just craving new opportunities and new challenges. And so you sort of, you got someplace, you sort of said, ah, I don't think this is for me. Let me try something different. And as an engineer going into finance, I remember my first couple finance classes were, I'll say a little rough <laughs> when I was in school. What did you do with that restlessness? Where did you go next? It's a great question, Keith. And I think you sum it up really well. Just, I should offer some context on India at that time, because it's a very different place. Uh, it was a very different place than what it is today. The context was India had gone through a very painful IMF-supported restructuring in 1991, and business confidence was pretty low for a few years after that. In hindsight, that actually forced the economy to liberalize, and that would really start the process of integrating India into the global economy mm -hmm. and put the country on a strong multi-decade growth path, which we're seeing even today. But at that time, things were grim. So I thought I, I needed to go off and try something else, perhaps outside the country. I had a few friends and acquaintances from the IIMs who had made the move from India to Indonesia. They told me that the country was going through a real growth spurt, had a real dearth of management talent, and that being an emerging market, the skills that I had picked up in India were quite relevant. They also offered to put me in touch with a few employers in Indonesia. And based on a few discussions I had, I was delighted to have uh, a few job offers in Jakarta. Had you been to Indonesia at this point? Did you have other friends there, family there? Like what? That is a big change and a big risk with your career, because my sense is from the way you described your journey where you were, you could have stayed there and been quite successful in that business. I had gone on holiday a few times to Southeast Asia, Singapore, Indonesia, Malaysia, and so on. And I did have friends and family in many of those countries, like many Indians. And so that I had a little bit of context in the market, but I really didn't know the professional environment at all. And right. I had to take the word of my friends and acquaintances on that. But I thought it was a chance worth taking. And, you know, worst case, I have a new experience. And if things don't work out, I could always return to India. So you end up moving to Indonesia next? That's right. In 1994, early 94, I moved to Indonesia. I started with Gobel Group, which was a local partner of Panasonic of Japan. And I had a good two and a half year run uh, with them, where I was head of their finance function. But given the dearth of talent, I also had the opportunity to set up a couple of small businesses for wow. them. Wow. What we at Bain call engine two businesses these days. 
I then got an offer, which I found attractive at that time, to be head of finance for a mid-sized airline, which was trying to go public. In hindsight, I took on that role without doing a whole lot of homework, and I'll get to that in a minute. Anyway, going in, very quickly, the new CEO and I realized that we needed a lot of help to turn the mid-sized airline around. Uh, One of our shareholders had heard about how Bain had played a key role on the Continental Airlines turnaround, and so suggested that we talk to Bain. So my CEO and I flew to Singapore, met with Charlie Ormiston, who was the head of the office at that time at Bain, and we just hired Bain because because we were so impressed with that. That's amazing. Um, you know, the uh, I think you might be the third or fourth guest that we've had that's mentioned Charlie as a pivotal influencer in their career path. We'll have to get Charlie on one of these days to get his side of the story. I was the project manager on the client side for the work that the Bain team was doing. And I must say, I had not even heard of Bain before the shareholder had uh, come up with the suggestion that we hire Bain. But I was, I was blown away by Bain and the Bain team. The work was absolutely excellent. It was fact-based. It was highly analytical. The Bain team was able to take complicated concepts and present them in a very simple and compelling way. And what struck me most was the humility and the team spirit of the Bain team and how well, how seamlessly they worked with the client team, despite Mm -hmm. different cultures, et cetera. So that was just most striking to me. So the Bain project went well. We had a clear strategy. But the bottom line was the company needed an equity infusion of $100 million to keep the airline going. Right. And unfortunately, the existing shareholders didn't have the appetite to put in that, infuse that money into the company. So I decided to part ways and move to a financial securities firm. It so happened that, you know, I, uh, Charlie came to hear about it. And hearing that, he turned up one day in my office and said, uh, Satish, I'd love for you to come and work with Bain, which was a complete surprise to me. But, you know, I loved uh, my experience working with the Bain team. And I was absolutely certain that if I went to Bain, Regardless of whether I was successful in the long term or not, I would learn a lot working with folks like the Bain folks. And perhaps if things don't work out in a couple of years or if I lose interest in consulting, I could move back into industry with an enhanced skill set and it would serve me well. Yeah, I often tell people, Satish, I've just, I came to Bain to stay for two years and now I've done that 13 times. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> exactly. You and I joined around the same time. So our stories are exactly parallel. Now, Satish, moving from the client side into consulting, especially when you've worked with the Bain team before, is an adjustment. Moving into consulting is an adjustment. What was that adjustment like for you? And, and was it immediately clear that you were going to be a lifer or did you, you have some stumbles along the way? You're very perceptive, Keith. Uh, you've been through this yourself. The first year was exceptionally challenging, I must admit. At Sympathy Air, I had 100 people reporting to me and here I was at Bain as a brand new consultant, having to do my own slides and struggling <laughs> with the Bain role. Yep. So it was challenging, but I was given very good advice by many people around me. Uh, Charlie Ormiston, who was our office head, Mike Gaska, who happened to be the manager on the case, Bain case at Sympathy, who uh, went on to run our uh, London office and so on. And their advice to me was just put your head down, really master the basics, understand the Bain manufacturing process. Uh, it will take a year or 18 months. But once you do that, it will get much easier. And after that, all your prior experience and right. the benefits from that would kick in. And they were dead right. right. So I just said I would tough it out for the first 12, 18 months, regardless of what was thrown my way. And frankly, once I did that and once I learned the basics of Bain, I really started to enjoy my time at Bain. And there were so many uh, aspects of my Bain role I found fascinating. 
the work was uh, really on the most strategic and interesting issues that CEOs were facing. I got to work with diverse teams across a very diverse region. I helped set up the financial services, financial services JV for a European company in India. I helped develop the country full potential strategy for a tech company in China. I supported the due diligence of one of uh, Indonesia's most storied companies, uh, conglomerates uh, post the Asian crisis. So it was a wonderful opportunity to learn about different countries and cultures and the ability to work closely with our clients to create impact on their most strategic issues in a range of environments, I must say, was really heady and really exciting. And that part of it is exciting, but it's you're describing a part of the journey that I don't think most people talk about, which is, you know, that first six, 12, sometimes 18 months can be really challenging because you, you're learning all aspects of the job. And it's very different than being an operator where you make decisions and move on. You have to influence people who have sometimes very different opinions and thoughts on what it'll take to get them to move. You know, your experience getting to Bain might have been a little bit different when Charlie taps you and says, you know, come with me, please. What advice and what things would you say to people who are trying to join us, maybe from a non-traditional path, maybe not joining us right out of school, you know, joining us from industry or joining different parts of Bain? What should they take away from your experience? First thing I'd say is, you know, think of the Bain manufacturing process, the Bain basics as a language. And, uh, you know, you might be a very, very talented person, but if you don't master the language, your ability to communicate all the great insights in your head are limited. So, Think of it as an investment to really master the language so you can very eloquently communicate your insights. So that that would be my advice in the first year. A couple of other things. I do think that, I remember in the early days, I went up to Charlie one day because during those days, Bain was very Ivy League heavy and I did not have an Ivy League MBA. And I was wondering to myself whether I needed a second MBA. So I asked Charlie that question and his advice to me was, has stayed with me all these years. He said, don't worry about others. We think you're good enough to be at Bain, put your head down, do great work, focus on learning and growing on the job, and you'll do just fine. And that was so true. I didn't have a second thought about it. I trusted him implicitly. And it has absolutely been, it has been reality for me. All I've done, I've not been distracted by other things. All I've done is put my head down and and try to do the job. And I'd argue that it's even more true today. Bain is a far more diverse firm than it was 20 years ago. We have a very large breadth of very diverse talent. We have diversity in expertise, demographics, life experiences. And I think it makes us a richer firm. And I I know, I I acknowledge that for people who are new to Bain, that these differences can sometimes come across as intimidating. But in reality, it's these diverse experiences that help us deliver much better outcomes for our clients. Satish, I want to switch topics and talk a little bit about our Asia-Pacific or APAC region. You've had a lot of leadership roles in the region, and I want to give people some familiarity with it. As I've gotten to know the region more during my time leading recruiting, it's remarkably complex, diverse, and, and unique in a lot of different ways. But can you talk about some of the leadership roles in your journey as a leader in the region? I've had the opportunity to play different leadership roles at Bain. It's been a real privilege as they bring and help you experience very different things and create different learning opportunities. But to me, the foundation of all of this is Bain's approach towards rotational leadership, where we take on a role, we do it for a finite period, and we hand it over to the next generation. The other element of Bain's leadership principles, of course, is servant leadership, right? So our job is really to serve our fellow partners and to serve the constituents we're working with. So my first leadership role across the region was as M&A practice leader for APAC. 
I loved taking on that role because I was passionate about MA. I had a great time going across uh, the region, supporting MA roadshows in different countries to showcase our MA capabilities, joining client pitches, uh, serving as an advisor on a range of MA projects around the region. And I really think M Bain's MA capability has given our uh, investment heritage as are truly differentiated. So thoroughly enjoyed the role, thoroughly enjoyed being the champion for Bain, uh, Bain's MA practice across the region, and frankly learned a lot from it and got to know my colleagues across the APAC region quite well as a result. Then you took on a leadership role in the office, being more of an operator of a business with a lot of diversity of responsibility, right? That's right. I, in 2013, I took on the office head role for Southeast Asia. That was a real privilege. It was leading a group of colleagues who I was so very close to in a very diverse region. We expanded our presence across multiple markets. We were primarily a Singapore-led business until around 2010. We had started the process of setting up offices in Jakarta, KL, Bangkok. And during my tenure, we really tried to drive growth in those markets, invest more in those markets and build a stronger presence with local and regional champions from those markets. The good news was that's worked out very well. We had a great run with strong double-digit growth over that period. And now we can take great pride in having a Southeast Asia business, which is not just a Singapore-led business, but a truly multi-market business having significant impact well beyond Singapore in the hinterland in Malaysia, Indonesia, Thailand, and now uh, most recently, in uh, Philippines and in Vietnam as well. Right. And and I don't think most people realize, you know, we talk about Southeast Asia like it's one location and it's not. It's multiple locations and they're and they're different and they have different needs, but they're all similar in some ways as well. And we at Bain serve them as a cluster and as office head, you're sort of the office head of that cluster. Although you weren't an office head forever, uh, as you said, we think about servant leadership and rotational leadership at Bain. And you went from office head to regional managing partner, which is the role that you have today. Can you talk a little bit about how that changes your responsibility as a servant leader? We should start with our APAC business. We have six office systems in APAC, and around 20 offices around the region. So we have businesses in Japan, Korea, Australia, China, India, and Southeast Asia. For us, offices are, very, are a very strong unit of our culture, and our people really value that and they have a strong sense of identity uh, with their office, but they also really value being part of a larger Bain global system, right? And that's just that wonderful balance that we have at Bain. I took on this role uh, as a regional managing partner for APAC in 2019. The good news was I had worked in all of our markets in APAC at various stages in my career. And so I had friendships with most of the partners across the region, mm -hmm. which was very helpful. I was familiar with the business context, which, as you know, is quite diverse across the region. So that was not intimidating for me. But I have to say that taking on the role and having done it for the last four and a half years, it has been a tremendous learning experience, a really rewarding experience. APAC is a very exciting, opportunity-rich, diverse region. There are, some there are some huge, if contrasting, economies across the region. Right? Right. So emerging markets like China, India, Southeast Asia, developed markets like Japan, Australia, and Korea. And one thing that most markets in APAC have in common is relatively low penetration of management consulting services. And some very ambitious local, regional, and global companies, they are very keen to build exciting new businesses, 
We also have some very ambitious insurgent companies attempting to uh, disrupt the status quo. So we have a great business across the region with a marquee set of local and multinational clients. And we also work extensively with our financial investor clients and, and doing some very exciting work across the region. Now, there is a lot of really great work that I've seen happening in APAC during my whole tenure here, especially now that I have great visibility in my recruiting role. But 2019, all systems go, sky's the limit. And about a year later, things change pretty dramatically. And I know you've managed and led us through a pretty tumultuous time. Can you talk a little bit about some of the challenges that you, that you face as, as a leader in the business and, and what that means and, and how you navigate that? You're so right. Uh, the global pandemic hit us in early 2020. As you know, it really started in China. And uh, it was a demanding period because I think it hit APAC in many ways more than most other uh, regions. It was, however, a real privilege to work with our local leadership teams, to support our local teams as they managed COVID. What stood out for me is how our local talent teams, our local office heads, really went above and beyond, especially in markets like India and China, to support our team on the ground, whether it was securing hospital beds for their parents who were uh, suffering from COVID, getting oxygen cylinders in India, providing care packs in China. It was extraordinary to see our, our teams really put their team members well above their own personal needs and do whatever it took to ensure that uh, they were fully supported. So it made me very, very proud to see it. And it, it uh, the Bain spirit really shone through during this very challenging period. What's also interesting was none of us expected that the client agenda would also shift in quite a, fu a fundamental way. And, you know, during the COVID period, there was a real push to digitize businesses, which went up several years during COVID. We had a lot of work where we were helping our clients go to market in a much more digital way across a range of businesses. We initially thought that the green transition would slow down as a result of COVID. In fact, the opposite has happened. There's far more urgency around the green transition. Our clients have also used this opportunity to uh, really turbo turbocharge their business building efforts as they seek to build new business ventures. And so there's been a lot of excitement around the region. That's really great to hear. With all the things that are going on over there, you know, can you distill it down into two, three, maybe four top priorities in the region of, of where you see really exciting opportunities going forward? Number one, I'd say is the ESG agenda. The ESG agenda is massive. We would really like to do our bit to help our clients accelerate the decarbonization of the planet enhance circularity, and usher in a kinder version of capitalism, all while delivering great value for their shareholders, right? So that's huge, it's top of mind, it's a top three strategic priority for every single client of ours. Second, uh, we are going through a difficult time economically currently, so we're doing a lot of work to support our clients on their transformation agenda. Uh, we're doing work specifically on accelerated performance transformation, including uh, ambitious cost takeouts, across the region and across a range of industries. Third, there's some very exciting work that will be ongoing on technology transformation of clients. As you know, Bain has built out strong capabilities in innovation and design, in advanced analytics, in enterprise technology, in digital marketing, and so on. We're doing very exciting work in these areas. And as I said, there's particular interest in generative AI and how our clients can benefit from leveraging this technology in a responsible and ethical fashion. Finally, the underpinning of all of this for us, Keith, as you know very well, is to ensure that Bain continues to be the best place to work 
not just for generalist business talent, but for diverse business talent. A lot of our headcount growth over the, over the last five years has been well beyond generalist consulting skill sets. And we continue to expand our talent base in area, areas like innovation, advanced analytics, sustainability, automation, etc. So I want us to continue to remain at the forefront in terms of being a great place for talent and all types of talent at that. Satish, as we get into our last segment here, I want to touch on a couple of things that you talked about. You know, you talked about tech and digital. You also talked about sustainability. And I know that's more than just an item on a list of things the RMPs have to do at Bain for you. And I know it's close to your heart. And you you were chairing our global ESG effort for a while. Can you tell us more about how that came to be, uh, both your interest in that role and, and how you're involved in the space now as a leader at Bain? My first influence on ESG broadly was my daughter. Uh, she's an animal lover, a nature lover, a vegan. And I've personally also been a nature lover myself. But she really rekindled and reignited that uh, aspect of me. And she also said, we can't just stand still. We have to be agents of change, right, as, as individuals. I then had the opportunity to work with one of my long-term clients in the agribusiness sector on their ESG strategy. This was back in 2014. My client was a real ESG champion and uh, had the foresight to pick this up well before it became fashionable. Right. The key insights from the work we did was that business had a huge role to play in nursing the planet back to health. And this was not CSR by any means. It was a far more fundamental thing. And it had to be a very integral part of the way companies conducted their business. Shortly after, I did a piece of work for a large sovereign wealth fund with 400 billion in assets and several hundred portfolio companies. And I realized that investors in particular have a very influential role to play in the planet's green transition. Since then, it's been a, uh, ESG has been a cause close to my heart, and I've had a chance to influence Bain's course somewhat on this important topic and continue to work with a number of clients to support them on their ESG journey. I've also been fortunate to have been invited to join the advisor group for Infrastructure Asia, an organization set up by the Singapore government to accelerate Asia's uh, sustainable infrastructure build-out. In a private capacity, I'm also an investor in a number of sustainability-focused startups, which are really ambitious, doing interesting things, and trying to change the world. So I'm trying to do my bit overall, uh, Keith, within Bain as an individual and more broadly across the ecosystem to move the needle forward on making the planet a kinder and better place. That's really fascinating to hear, Satish. And I think that it's it's good for people to hear an articulation of the of the leverage that Bain can provide on causes like that. You know, we have access to some of the largest employers in the world. We have access to some of the investors that have the biggest influence on how business prioritizes the environment and prioritizes all the different things that are important to us as, as human beings on this planet. And some people will leave and go pursue that on their own, and other people will leverage the influence that Bain has to make the world better, as, as you've done. And I think everything on that spectrum is fairly inbounds. We just don't talk about the influence we can have here as much as we could sometimes. That's very well said, Keith. I think we can punch well above the weight, given, you know, we're not the largest company in the world, but we have influence with the largest companies and investors in the world, and we have to utilize it to the fullest. You know, Satish, it's really great to hear that after so many years, you continue to do things that are important to you and important to the planet without feeling the need to leave Bain to go do those things. But before we wrap up, I wanted to ask you for advice that you would give people listening that are considering a career in consulting, whether that be as a consultant 
or in one of the many other roles that you've already articulated that are important to our business and our future, and maybe put that in the context of where we're going as a firm and how they can be a part of our success in the future? Yeah, I might start with some genetic advice, which is, you know, a couple of things that have stuck with me, advice I've got from my mentors. The first one is be true to yourself, right? You have to play your game. You have to play to your strengths rather than worrying too much about what people around you are doing. I think that's absolutely central for a long, happy, successful career. The second is adopt a learning mindset and maintain that throughout your career. The world is changing so rapidly and you have to be constantly updating your skills. In that, let me add a little sales pitch for Bain. It's a wonderful learning environment. It's a wonderful environment in which to be at the cutting edge of business, uh, no matter what your specialization. And Bain, as I said earlier, is a very diverse firm, and we welcome all sorts of talent to make our business a better place and make the world a better place. Satish, as I said at the beginning, I've known you for a long time, but I don't think we've had a chance to just sit down and talk about how we think about our careers, how we think about our journey, and how we think about the business of Bain uh, without a hot topic or pressing issue. I really appreciate you taking the time to come on the pod and, and share a little bit with our listeners. Thank you so much for having me, Keith. I really enjoyed our conversation.